Hello, and welcome to Unbabbled, a podcast that navigates the world of special education, communication delays, and learning differences. We are your hosts, Stephanie Landis and Meredith Crummel, and we're certified speech-language pathologists who spend our days at the parish school in Houston, helping children find their voices and connect with the world around them. Today, we'll be speaking with Nancy Kaufman, a certified speech-language pathologist and renowned expert in childhood apraxia of speech, or CAS. Nancy is the owner and director of Kaufman's Children's Center in Michigan, where she practices the Kaufman Speech-to-Language Protocol, a treatment approach that she developed to help children with apraxia become effective vocal communicators. In this episode, Nancy will describe childhood apraxia of speech and how it differs from other speech disorders, discuss how her treatment approach is used to increase speech production and expressive language, and give advice to parents who think their child may have CAS. So welcome, Nancy. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Before we delve too much into it, would you like to give us a little bit more background about yourself? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I'm always excited to be here. And um, this is my 40th year in the field of speech and language pathology. I started out in a hospital setting for the first 13 years of my career, and then opened up on my own. And when I say my own, like myself with a answering machine, and then that's been another about 26 years of being in private practice. And that's come a long way. I've been to Nancy's clinic and it is beautiful and amazing and definitely not her and a phone book anymore. She now has a variety of different services there to treat the whole child, not just the language and speech side of it. So with you starting out in your own private practice, what led you into the direction of becoming focused in and a national expert on childhood apraxia of speech? Well, you know, I think, and I'm not even even actually positive of how I really got, (laughs) you know, more deeply into apraxia speech, but I think it stemmed from that I was doing a hospital internship for both children and adults. Mm -hmm. And so with the adults, I'm learning about cueing and using melody cues and gestural cues and working with adults with apraxia speech. But at the same time, I was working with children who really struggled to speak. And um, my mentor at the time, was somebody who, who was very innovative and really taught me about how to teach successive approximations toward full target words. And um, so learning about that and then pushing in what I was learning about adults in terms of cueing, I was also taking a phonology course. And it was interesting because in the phonology course, this is kind of technical, yeah. but we were learning that we could look at errors in terms in, in the terms of final constant deletion, cluster reduction, um, fronting and stopping, and all these terms, which were really about how children simplify difficult speech motor behavior. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to- Brilliant of these kids. Right. Simplify what's yes, hard for them. What's hard for them. They're simplifying adult forms of words. And so I was thinking to myself, wow, here are some children who are simplifying way lower than their actual motor coordination capability. And so I thought if we actually taught them how to simplify with natural phonological processes, because they weren't doing it the way that neurotypical children were, that would be a way to understand how to teach an approximation that makes sense and it's natural, and then keep moving them toward full target words, phrases, sentences, and so forth. And then implementing the cueing systems that we we were learning from what we knew about adult or acquired apraxia, 
um, and knowing what we know about articulation, knowing what we know that children have to process and comprehend language, also to be effective vocal communicators as well. And I want to back up just a little bit. Can you tell us what is childhood apraxia of speech and what's the difference between that and other articulation or phonological disorders? Well, so childhood apraxia of speech is, is difficulty executing and sequencing the oral motor movements that are necessary to produce and combine consonants and vowels and to then form intelligible speech. And it can coexist with just about anything that you want to rule out. Yeah. And so that's what makes it a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. And there are signs and symptoms of childhood apraxia of speech. Well, how does it differ from other speech disorders? Um, it's more about combining movement. Movement yeah. meaning the movements that we need for the fine motor skill of speaking. Um, and um, articulation errors are about inaccuracies on isolated consonants and vowels, which then carry through to be inaccurate in connected speech as well. Yeah. Phonological disorders um, are more predictable and consistent errors, however, and I may not be representing all of us yeah. SLPs, <laughs> but I really do see um, uh, these speech disorders on a continuum. Because oh, yeah. you can't really remove the motor aspect of speaking out of speech. Right, yes. And so I really see this continuum as being a child that may have difficulty even executing the underlying oral motor movements to produce consonants or vowels in isolation, to children who really have many consonants and vowels that they can produce, but they struggle to combine them, and therefore they have replacement errors and distortion errors and substitute or, or uh, um, omission errors or deletion errors and then they also met, might then be able to start combining words and then they, they may have some residual leftover uh, issues with speech motor um, behavior and then maybe end up with a few uh, leftover articulation errors. <laughs> so I, I really have tended to look at these kinds of speech disorders as a continuum. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. A bit of clarification for those listeners who may not be familiar with these terms. Phonological processing disorders are a set of errors that are predictable and affect more than one sound. They also follow a set of rules. An example would be a child leaving off the endings of words like ba for ball or ka for cup, or a child only making one consonant sound where there should be two together like top for stop or boo for blue. An articulation disorder typically has individual sound errors, such as difficulty with S, L, or R. Examples of this would be a child saying wed for red, or a child with a lisp. Sounds in isolation is a single sound produced on its own, just the S sound, S, just the T, T. This is often the first step in therapy as it involves focusing only on producing that one sound. Connected speech is when sounds are put together, either in words, short phrases, or conversational speech. This is more complex since the child must focus on producing multiple sounds all together. I have seen children who still struggle with, they might have apraxia, but going through that, they also have some phonological things mm -hmm. comorbidly. And as you said, you've treated kids who um, have a range, so they may also have an um, autism diagnosis or other diagnosis and still with it have the apraxia and other things so it's it gets very tricky to piece apart and then just hone in on one thing which is why I think it's fantastic that you 
um, bring in other aspects of therapy and really look at the whole child. Mm-hmm. So you said there are some red flags there. Are there things that parents and educators could be looking for that might tip them in the direction that this would be um, a child who might have apraxia of speech? Well, there certainly are. I mean, some of the staples are um, incon- inconsistent productions of words over repeated trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be like saying the same word and having a different production or different error when they're saying that word. So they might say it like butterfly and say it incorrectly, like bubberfly, but then have a different error. So they're not saying bubberfly every time for butterfly. They're saying it differently each time? Yes. Okay. And then there are vowel errors, but they're tricky. Because if you have vowel errors in isolation, you're going to then also have them in connected speech. But I think more of the staple of the vowel errors we're talking about in CAS are that the children can produce the vowels accurately in isolation and then collapse them in connected speech. But also diphthong vowels can also be a, be problematic in isolation because they're two movements. Yes. And CAS being a movement disorder, a speech motor movement disorder, it may be difficult to coordinate both movements in a diphthong vowel. So they might be collapsed even in isolation. Yeah. And a diphthong, the two together would be like by. So I is an A to an E, and mm-hmm. OI is an A to an E, and an A is an A to an E, and OW is an A to an O, those kinds of, of vowels. Yeah, that you really don't think of as being two separate movements, but they're putting two of them together, which increases the complexity and increases the demand for them to motor plan as they go through. Any other ones that you're yeah, so, looking for? Um, they may have. Um, pop-out words that are very automatic for them to say, hi, bye, wow, me, come, go. Um, But sometimes when you ask them to say those words on direct imitation, they may fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, They um, have difficulty with syllabic sequencing. So uh, children with CAS may be able to produce a consonant vowel word pretty well, hi, no, bye, day. Um, And then as you add syllables, you might start seeing an increase in errors. So that certainly when they get to multi-syllabic words, yeah. you're going to see an increase in errors there. Okay. So that's another staple of, of childhood apraxia speech. And that would look really different than a child who has an articulation error because they're going to say, even in isolation, that one sound, that T, the R, the L, they're gonna say the same error over and over again. They're gonna say it in isolation. And same thing with a child that might be on the phonological side of it. They're always going to reduce um, bottle to baba and make really predictable errors when they go through. Another aspect of CAS um, are prosody issues. And, and, you know, so often we have children that are so young that we don't have a lot of speech to examine. You know, they're not necessarily talkers. Um, but the only way to really decide if a child truly has CAS is to have a child who talks so yeah. that we can <laughs> look at their error patterns. Um, and some of them have, have such a struggle with like almost like an executive apraxia. An, ex- an executive apraxia. I always, yes. I always think of a child holding a briefcase. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's hard to diagnose. Um, but the prosody issues are seen especially in children who are talkers, um, but they will have unusual pauses maybe in between syllables, um, in between words. 
they also may have difficulty with melody and um, sound very monotone and choppy um, in the way that they speak. And they might have to kind of think more before they speak in order to make the executions of the speech motor movements to, to help themselves to be more intelligible. As a parent, what kinds of things would you suggest they talk to their speech language pathologists about if they maybe have some suspicion that their child has childhood apraxia of speech? Is there anything that they should be asking or any information that would be important for them to know? Well, certainly the informed parent is best. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's so much that can um, be looked at on the internet. And something good or bad. Yes. <laughs> the internet can be very serious. It, it, it certainly can. So I, I really, I really um, come across many parents who are coming in for an, an evaluation and they say, you know, I suspect that my child may have CAS and this is why. And, and an informed parent is going to help uh, any individual who's doing evaluations to look more closely for it, to know that the parent is open to hearing mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and, to, and I would ask an SLP if they have um, much experience with CAS. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if they don't, do they know somebody that really could be more helpful? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I definitely think that uh, information is helpful. Um, we always tend to tell parents, though, that there's so many coexisting conditions with CAS that you almost can't talk about it as a one subject matter. You know, you, you almost can't say all children with CAS do this and all children with CAS do that. Right. But what, what does draw them together are the characteristics that comprise the disorder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also because of that, just because a child might not be showing one part of it or showing other things with it doesn't mean it's not CAS. Correct, and like there's something also called oral groping mm -hmm. that gives us an idea about apraxia of speech, but sometimes you don't see that in an evaluation. But then as you're working with the child and you're trying to help them to position for different sounds and sequences, you can see them really not knowing where to place the articulators and they, they grope for that positioning that their brain's telling their, their articulators what to do and they're not listening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I know that many parents, when their child is having difficulty with the articulation and they're not talking much and they want to focus in on the sound, one of the things that I really love about um, your philosophy is that you support the language with developing the words and the sounds. Can you talk a bit about the importance of doing both together? Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in CAS, in the KSLP method, method, so let me talk about that. So it's the Kaufman Speech to Language mm -hmm. Protocol, KSLP. The premise of the approach is that um, we're trying to teach children some vocabulary and we want them to use it functionally. Yes. And many of the words that are important for the child, but maybe a favorites list, contain consonants and vowels that they don't even have in their repertoire. And they're not stimulable for them either. So no matter, let's say they don't have a k, like a k in their repertoire, and though cookies are really something special <laughs> for them, they love eating them, we can't wait until we can gain that k in the repertoire, not only to gain it in isolation, we have to gain it in, in co-articulation. And so we're gonna keep trying to work on getting that k into the repertoire, but at the same time, the child is saying da-da for cookie. 
And so that's where we're going to say, okay, what's a natural phonological process for children that can't produce a k and it's fronting, which is a t, and we might then just tell the child or help the child to say tutti for cookie. I know that feels awkward that yeah. you're actually teaching a child a different way to say a word than how you're supposed to say it, but it's meant to be temporary and functional. And so I'm actually going to say, try to say tutti, and they might be able to say it, but I'm going to then model it as cookie. Yes, it's a cookie. Did you want some cookies? Tell me tutti. They say tutti, they get cookie. But in the meantime, I'm going to continuously work on the cup. Mm -hmm. And actually, once we get it, we might have to reconfigurate that word to cook, which means that they get to move from one cup to the same placement and then remove the E. So let's try it this way, cook E. We are no longer going to accept Tutti as their approximation for cookie, and now we're going to replace it with cook E until they can then um, make it solid and, and, and smooth and fluent. And in the meantime, as we're teaching an approximation of a word, we want the child to use that word functionally. Yes. And we want it to be a request because young children do a ton of requests, <laughs> yes. as you parents know, daily. And, and so we want them to say cookie in order to get cookie. We want them to say it as best as they can with the constant uh, repertoire that they have and that they're stimulable for. But we're gonna continuously work on things that they're not stimulable for, gain that stimulability, gain those constants and vowels, and then successively move them toward the target. And so basically what we're doing in the KSLP are simplifying the motor plans of words temporarily for functional expressive language. Yeah, and what a great way to do it. I mean, it's life-changing for families that everybody in the family knows Tootsie is cookie now. So there's no question about what they're requesting and then the child is so much more successful with their language. It's great. And beyond that, when you go out into the community, many people are used to children saying Tootsie. And if a mm -hmm. two-year-old comes right. up to you and is like, want tutti, they're mm -hmm. gonna know cookie. But if they come, a, a child comes up to you and instead says like, duh, duh, then oh, the, the stranger yeah. is gonna be a little more confused in making it functional. And yes, it does feel awkward replacing an error with an error, but at least it's one that people are more familiar with. It makes it functional and is bringing in the ability to have them use that expressive language side of it because there is two components to it. You have to have the language development in there as they're doing and working on these words so it becomes functional and they can have a conversation with people instead of just having these words in isolation and the sounds in isolation. I think it improves the children's confidence yes. for yes. more successful communication. Definitely. There are um, practicing SLPs that don't feel comfortable actually teaching an approximation mm -hmm. rather than just accepting the child's approximation. And I just want to make sure that everybody understands that that is not the end uh, goal. It is a means toward the target word. Mm -hmm. And it helps the listener and therefore it, it, it um, drives successful communication. Right. Yeah. Because whatever the child was saying in place of their best approximation had to be very difficult to decode. Yes. And then they're gonna be constantly met with miscommunication. And frustration. And frustration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So temporary uh, successive approximations or simplification of motor plans of words, always moving them ahead whenever they are able 
toward those full target adult forms of words. Yeah. And also we're going to go ahead on word combinations. Mm -hmm. We can't wait till children have perfect articulation to then work on word combinations. Well, that's not typical language development either. Yes. I mean, children combine two words before they have certain sounds in their repertoire. So, yeah, that, that's, that's more functional, more natural. Yes. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why would we not want our children to be developing naturally when they can? As close as possible. Yeah. Right. right. Very, and we, we joke about this, but it's really a true statement that so many of us go to words like more, want, mm -hmm. um, help, mm -hmm. um, please. And the thing about those words are that they're so general. Mm -hmm. yeah. That and, and very often that's us if the children are not even able to be vocal at all, those are some of the, the first signs that are taught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, from um, people that were um, board certified behavior analysts as to why those are not the most effective words or signs to teach. Because if a child walked into my room and they signed more, what would I know? I wouldn't know anything. What they would mm -hmm. want more of. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they might scroll to want, and I still don't know. Mm -hmm. They'll scroll to please because that melts all of our hearts. Right. But I still and don't know. Please. <laughs> Come on. Please. Understand me, please. And they even might scroll to help. And the thing is, is that I'm at a loss, and mm -hmm. they're going to get more frustrated. Right. And so I was taught, and it was wonderful to have this opportunity to learn from um, BCBAs that it's better to teach a one-on-one -on -one match to highly preferred items and activity words. And that's, again, why we need to go with approximations because we can't work on just full words over and over and over again that aren't going to take us into the language that is necessary to teach. So we'll, we'll put a more, a want, or a please along with another word that helps the listener to understand more cookie or whatever that is. But even when we're getting into two and three word utterances, when we're talking about getting into expressive language, maybe rather than using general words like that to get into two word utterances, we might want to use descriptive words yeah. mm -hmm. um, or attributes. So the child's been saying truck, or they might be saying it as tut, and they're, they're doing it as a, as a uh, request and then getting the truck, but maybe they want a specific truck. So now we, we would want to teach maybe a color word mm -hmm. with truck or a size word mm -hmm. with truck. That gets them not only into a two-word combination, but it gets them a more specific um, response to their desire. Mm -hmm. And it's teaching developmentally appropriate attributes to have language that, and language skills to go along with it. Right. And it takes us out of the I want phrasing mm -hmm. that we kind of overdo. Mm -hmm. And so now children, even if they're naming an item, they'll say, I want, mm -hmm. in front of it. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, what's this? I want apple. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but that's our fault because we taught them to overgeneralize that phrase. Mm -hmm. You mentioned about your intensive from with children from all over. If a family is interested how does that process work? Do they contact you and travel to you based on your schedule, or how do, how do you manage that? So um, they'll contact me, usually either by email or phone, and the first thing that I say is that I need to see some recording, I need yes. to see some video, mm -hmm. because first of all, I'm not sure that the KSLP methods are the appropriate methods for this particular child. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I think that they have CAS, they may need another professional of whom I'm very well aware to send them to. They may need um, to, to have other uh, diagnoses uh, 
uh, revisited or, or uh, additional evaluations before they come as well. Okay. Which is great, otherwise you'd have kids coming into your office blind and make it very difficult to treat that oh, way. Right, and I wouldn't put a family in that situation no. and certainly not myself either. Um, and it's, I, I have to say, almost 100% of the time it has worked out so very well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll watch some video, I will call the parent um, and the, their SLP yeah. if they're interested to collaborate with me. I tell the parents if the SLPs aren't really on board with the KSLP methods, because not everybody is, um, I don't know why, possibly, <laughs> and I know how biased I am, um, but I've had 40 years of experience with effective outcomes. Um, so um, if the SLP is not interested in the KSLP, it would be very tough to, to collaborate. And so, Coming out would be great, but then going back and not having that opportunity to work together isn't the best situation. Um, so, but sometimes the, the, the parents will bring their SLP with them, and that's mm -hmm. always wonderful to have somebody right there with me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I'll do an evaluation, and then I do half-hour sessions. It depends on the child's nap schedule. Some of these kids are pretty young. So we try to do everything in the mornings. <clears throat> And then some additional sessions in the afternoons, and mm -hmm. some of them also come for an additional OT evaluation mm -hmm. um, and have some sessions there. Um, and then I try to coach the parents too. They're always watching. We have one-way observation windows. Um, they're watching, and then the last few sessions, I'm going to coach the parents as to how to implement the goals through play. And that's a lot of fun too. That's good. Which is the most natural way for parents to be interacting with their children anyway. And the most or natural way for children to learn. To, to, to learn. <laughs> right. A child wants to sit at the dinner table and be drilled by their parents and right. it's not going to be functional, it's not going to carry over. And that's such an important piece. I mean, parents, they see their kids the most. They can get mm -hmm. the most out of it. And if they have that functional way of communicating and they can help cue them and they can help get them, then their ability to increase their child's outcome just increases and increases exponentially. So and I love that wonderful parent side of it that you do. And well-meaning parents, some feel that they need to drill the children. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be well-meaning wreak havoc on their relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it, it gives them a feeling of relief. And yes. I'm saying, hey, you should you don't really have to use any therapy materials at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just know what the goals are and then let's put a whole huge toy on the floor and see what we're going to do with it. I had a, um, a, a mom that was very distraught because her child just wouldn't work with her anymore. And every, she said to me, every time I bring out pictures, my child runs out of the room. I said, yes. I, I wonder why. So we really talk about that. If you have to use materials because you need a visual reference for certain mm -hmm. word types, you do. But you want to pair those with bringing out highly preferred toys and activities so that when materials come out so do those fun things and then the children will say hey i like those pictures because they signal that my life is going to get better and not worse <laughs> mm -hmm. um but anyway i you know this this one um mother i said well if she came came to michigan from quite a distance what's your child's favorites you know tell me some things about your children's faith your child's favorite thing she said orca whales <laughs> oh okay well <laughs> World toy yeah. and gathered up a lot of sea creatures because you know those toys that you buy at the store come with one extra yes. right. item. Right. So gathered up um, a bunch of different Sea World toys 
And then we decided on a pivot phrase, and we were talking about language. That's part of the KSLP too. We call them pivot phrases. They're just words or phrases that stay constant, mm -hmm. and then you don't have to really worry about them mm -hmm. anymore. So my, I'm going to get off my subject, so get me back to the Oracle <laughs> Whale. My is a pivot word because it can stay constant. My nose, my ears, my toy. Open, another type of pivot word. Mm -hmm. Open eyes, open mouth, open toy, open box. And even pivot phrases, like I want, of course, is one of them because it stays constant, but I need. Mm -hmm. I want to, and then verb. And how about putting the word second? Come blank with me. Mm -hmm. And then they know the come and the with and the me, and they only have to change up that verb. And it's nicely social. But so we have pivot, maybe I have pivot syllables too. <laughs> syllables that, that remain constant, like that NY. So then we have bunny, money, honey, pony. We just have to remember that to mix and vary that task with yes. others so that they don't overgeneralize and right. anything ends in a knee, right? Right, they go into their next session and say, <laughs> orca knee. <laughs> so we're, we, we got out um, all of the, the toys and we had an orca whale too. I don't know how I found that, but you know, happening. And um, then decided on a pivot phrase. So how about go in water? And even if it had to be do in wawa. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's yes. about our moving into expressive language, mm -hmm. but we still might have to simplify the motor plans even of those words. We're not going to do go too far too fast because then they'll be unintelligible. Mm -hmm. So we're going to stay with maybe two-word utterances. Even when we get to three-word utterances, they might just be telegraphic minus all the little linking words that are difficult to say and add too much motor planning to that particular phrase. But we did go in water, and then we can do each different item, orca, go in water, and fish, go in water. And she was right there, really excited. The mom was, was just joyful watching her child feel so good about all of this practice, and it really worked out well. Then she wanted to go in the water. <laughs> so her mom picked her up, and she pretended to die, Aww. and she said, I go in water, and then she pointed to me. The interesting <laughs> thing about the pointing is, that I like to teach parents and caregivers that we have to try to anticipate what the child is trying to convey with their gesturing mm -hmm. and maybe non-speech vocalizations. And as soon as we can understand what they're trying to convey, we're gonna help them to convey it. So she just pointed to me. Now I knew that that meant I want you to go in the water. She wouldn't have had to say anything, but because I knew that, I put my um, put my question put the answer of my question into the question. Oh, do you want me to go in the water? You want to get a yeah because that was a yes no question mm -hmm. or a yes. And then tell me that you want me to go in the water. Tell me you go in water. And then she did. And then I pretended to dive in too. Um, so there's so much to talk about in terms of scripting language in the natural environment. What words do you choose? And um, how do you simplify and, and um, figure out what the best approximation would be? And that is, that's, that's a hard task and it's a difficult task. And to tell parents just to go home and do it without giving them that training is really hard. It's much easier for parents to imitate the drill, but mm -hmm. then the children get disengaged with that and it's not going to carry over that functionality to increase the joy and right. the playfulness All the and the opportunity that they have for the play and the connection and you were hitting shared imagination and so many other things in that one activity that 
at drill, you know, drill practice at the table, they wouldn't get. So, well, I have um, an e-course through Northern Speech on the KSLP methods and, and also little clips of how to use materials. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I put materials together because I wanted them. Mm -hmm. I didn't put them together because I had all this, these visions of selling them. Right. But one thing led to another. And so I love to create. And then I love to have the access to them to use them in my therapy sessions. Um, so, but I have a course that explains all of that through Northern Speech, and I have um, a webinar through Apraxia Kids. Mm -hmm. So it's apraxia-kids.org. They have a whole library of webinars, and um, one of mine is Practice Through Play with yes. the KSLP Methods. So that would be something that would be available. Great resource for teachers, for parents, for other speech language pathologists just starting out to learn how to do things through play as well, or to help refer parents on so they can learn how to do this because play is just such a natural way for the children to learn and it's the most functional. And apparently it's the best way to build the brain. Mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, those connections are so much stronger when learned through play. And I was on your website recently and watching some of your videos and those are just such a great place to start. You go through your materials and you talk about the pivot syllables and the pivot, you know, phrases. So um, if anybody's interested, that's a really great place to start on your website and just watch some of those videos and learn about your materials. So very oh, helpful, those good. videos. We really try to keep it current. But that one is Kid Speech. It's K-I-D-S-P-E-E-C-H dot com. Mm -hmm. Or you can look up Nancy Kaufman and you'll get somewhere. If you Google Nancy Kaufman. Well, we've really enjoyed speaking with you and chatting with you and learning more today. We have one question that we ask everyone, and your answer can be specific to uh, childhood apraxia speech or life in general. But if you had one tip to give parents, what would you give? We put you on the spot. That's a very interesting question. Because um, we know that you have a plethora of experience coming from the clinical practice and being a parent yourself and just live life experience and interacting with so many families from different areas? I think that two things. Children are pretty resilient and they have amazing capabilities. If you just find the right team to, to, it, to help you mm -hmm. with them. And the other thing is, is that though this is very stressful, I would look for the joy anywhere possible. Um, and then the, the parent's demeanor is exuding those positive emotions, mm -hmm. even though you're worried and feeling sometimes very desperate or, or, or you know overwhelmed, the feelings that you exude are going to be the feelings that are um, received by your beautiful children. That's and I wonderful. know that will help them to feel good about themselves. I like that. That's I good. love that. And it applies to everything in a mm -hmm. child's life. Because we know we all worry. All parents worry. So, Well, it was wonderful having you today. Thank you again. Thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you again next, next year. <laughs> Thank you. I look forward to that. Thank you for listening to the Unbabbled Podcast. For more information on this episode, including links to the Kaufman's Children's Center website and Apraxia resources, as well as definitions of special terms we mentioned in our conversation, please see our episode description. 
For more information on the Parish School, you can visit our website at www.parishschool.org. And if you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the Unbabbled Podcast on your app of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. A special thank you to Stig Daniels, Katie McCarthy, Amanda Arnold, and Amy Tanner for all their hard work behind the scenes. Thanks again for listening.